it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshman. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the Scary Mother Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. Evan, my cat is, I would say, 10 feet to my right, screaming at me. This cat is just, I don't know, we went away for a couple of days and I guess he's angry at us now. He just keeps screaming. I don't know, like we fed him. He's got bags, he's got sunshine, everything a cat would want and still screaming at me. So if you hear that in the background, that's that's what it is. There you go. He's he, Maybe he's taking words out of Phil Nicholson's mouth here. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I cannot believe Phil said what he said. <laughs> what was your reaction? By the way, so this is like trails. There was a little bit of a delay here on the comments coming out and everybody knowing to sort of now the sponsor reaction and and if people haven't seen it, um, KPMG has dropped Phil Mickelson as, as, as a sponsor. Um, Amstel Light has dropped Phil Mickelson as a sponsor, still waiting on some others. But I, I still am struggling to understand what in heaven's name Phil was thinking. Like there is zero upside in what he said for what he was trying to accomplish. I think I, I, I I'm, I'm literally scratching my head right now because I just don't get it. You're not alone. I think everybody is kind of trying to figure this out. I'll give the kind of the quick background here. Uh, Phil has for a long time been rumored to be interested in potentially joining this breakaway Saudi backed golf league, live golf investments, which we've talked about on the pod before, essentially a group that is trying to, with very deep pockets, promise a deep amount of money uh, to lure some of the best golfers in the world, kind of away from the PGA Tour, it's unclear, uh, but but to doing their own kind of circuit of events in Asia. Uh, Phil gave this quotation uh, to a reporter last week. Oh, let's uh, say it's Alan Shipnuck. Let's say it's Alan, Alan Shipnuck. Sure. He, he, he did a good job of getting this out of Phil for a book so, he's working So on. quotation, uh, they're scary 
blanks to get involved with. We know they killed Jamal Khashoggi and have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. So far, so good, Phil. All accurate. Uh, Knowing all of this, why would I even consider it? Because this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. Kind of an all timer here. Uh, Scott, from a what is this athlete thinking standpoint, uh, this, as you said, KPMG has since dropped, ended its 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 multi decade relationship with with Phil Mickelson, Amstel Light, the Heineken owned brand, also doing the same. Uh, he walked back some of this, claimed part of it was off the record, uh, which Alan seems to disagree with, uh, and I think I know which side of that I, I, I tend to believe on this. Um, but just an absolute mess that comes in the middle of, of what is a really interesting time in golf where the biggest stars on the planet have to kind of publicly come out and either condemn what the Saudi-backed league is doing or kind of talk around the issue about their possibly joining it. Yeah, I, I, he had to know, though, I, or maybe he doesn't know. Does he know how much business KPMG does in Saudi Arabia? I, I, I guess he didn't. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a lot. It, but you know, you, you sort of want to know these things and know what your partners are up to. And, um, you know, Phil, I'll never forget one time I ran into Phil on the court at a Phoenix Suns game, right? And I was actually, it's funny, I, I was, I went over to try to get him to come on our podcast, the old one we used to do. And he said to me, oh, yeah, love to do it. You know, sure. Just, you know, ring me up whenever. Um, and by the way, say hello to, you know, and he was talking about, the CEO of Bloomberg. Like it wasn't Mike, but he was saying, you yeah. know, say hello to to the CEO of Bloomberg. And I was like, well, how do you know, how do you know him? Whatever. And he and Phil was like, oh, we play the Pro Ams together. I'm like, oh, of course you do. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, Phil Savvy, he's got he's got good contacts in the industry. These are like you said, long-standing relationships. I just wonder like what what in 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 God's name what is he was he thinking I mean, you can say you said, "Oh, okay, right there, all accurate." Like, not okay, right there. Like, not if he had stopped halfway through. KPMG is like, no, 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 Phil. What I are think you doing? That's the, I think that's the interesting thing here, right? Is that like there's a way to read this in which it it bothers the people who do a lot of business in Saudi Arabia and potentially the, the Saudi government, and then there's also a way to read this in which you feel like Phil is kind of dismissing a lot of the things that the Saudi regime does or has been accused of because he sees it as a once in a lifetime opportunity to change the way the American golf tour system works. Again, I think one of the, the amazing things about this is that there, there's people on kind of both sides of this spectrum that read that quote and just facepalm it because of how, how kind of shocking it is. No bigger, hotter applied facepalm than from Greg Norman, because Greg was the one, he's the golf face and name uh, behind this with the Saudi backing. Uh, Greg's been working on this for some time. And a little history lesson here, this isn't something new. Like Greg has understood for a long time that there's an opportunity for some sort of different star-driven alternative to the PGA Tour. And I'm curious to see, by the way, what the PGA Tour, Tour does now do they listen to the players that they, there's many changes that are needed? I'm not sure sort of this, this, uh, this sort of Q rating bonus at the end of a season really gets it done because it's just going to go to the most popular best players anyway. Um, but years ago, Greg Norman had a press conference with, um, with Rupert Murdoch uh, talking about sort of a, a, a breakaway alternative to golf and the PGA Tour 
came out and said, well, anybody who plays for this will lose their PGA Tour cards. And that kind of ended everything right there. I'm not sure the PGA Tour could get away with that right now. If there is a viable alternative, which, and if I'm remembering my one of my conversations with Greg here, it was less golf, more money. Like, why wouldn't a player want the ability to make more money while having to play less golf? So, you know, it, it just kind of, it brings up again, maybe that chasm that exists between the players and the tour. And are they setting themselves up for even more of this while this may not work or may not ha- might not happen? Are you setting yourself up for, for a, a, another conflict with players absent significant change? And what there appears to be right now in the professional golf world is potentially a kind of a generational divide between famous golfers. The, the, the list of really high profile, really elite, and I would say the, the younger stars of the game, like Dustin Johnson, like Brooks Kepka, like Rory DeChambeau. McElroy, John Rahm, Bryson DeChambeau, all of them have been very clear publicly in the past few weeks. They are committed to the PGA Tour. They're not interested in what Greg Norman and the Saudis are doing over in Asia. Then there seems to be a, a, maybe a class of the older group, the people like Phil Mickelson, who maybe are not as convinced. And, and maybe the end result is that w- what ends up happening under under the Live Golf Investments and with Greg is uh, a, a list of kind of the, the older people on tour who maybe aren't going to be contending for majors in, in 15 or 20 years or looking for one last paycheck. Maybe some kind of split uh, in that regard. But it, it certainly seems as though, at least right now, if you could have given a wish list to Greg Norman back when he started this initiative, there's a whole number of names, Tiger Woods included in that list, a whole number of names that are, it seems like are off the table right now, uh, that maybe he was optimistic about being able to to convince uh, just a couple months ago. Yeah, and you and I have discussed this before, especially as it pertained to the match, the original the match between Tiger and Phil. Like the stars have opportunities outside of the PGA Tour. They are the product. I mean, just look at the ratings on the Sunday leaderboard when Tiger name appear, right? Tiger's in a tournament, Tiger's uh, contending, you're going to do great numbers and it's the same for Phil and some of these other stars. They have the opportunity. So you wonder what sort of, let's say, leverage the players you mentioned would have if they, as a collective unit, approach the PGA Tour and say, here's a list of grievances. Like, let's air Mm -hmm. our grievances. And this is how we'd like it resolved. Would the PGA Tour... Uh, work with them, or would they proceed as is status quo, setting up future uh, conflicts? Well, the tour has already, in some ways, made it clear that they're willing to work. In some ways, you mentioned the Q score thing. The the league for the first for the first time in 2021 essentially set aside a 40 million dollar prize pool that they were going to give to the golfers that generated the most buzz for the sport off the court. And we're going to find out in about a month or at some point, maybe in the next couple of weeks, about exactly where that bonus pool netted out. And then also, and Phil's a perfect didn't Phil example get, Didn't Phil get number one? Phil claimed to get number one. I think yeah. it's unclear if Phil actually did, <laughs> did get number one. Well, um, there's certainly a lot of Twitter buzz on Phil exactly, Mickelson yeah, right he's, now. He's leading so. the 2022 standings. Uh, the other thing the tour has done, it is let kind of through... Uh, the match and Turner, as an example, it is letting players do kind of these one-offs for high prize pools uh, that they weren't maybe able to do or, or doing in the past. And Phil Mickelson got $9 million, I think, for that first match 
with Tiger Woods. That's one round, $9 million. Phil's making about $3 million on tour each year right now. The, 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 the amount of money available to some of these guys, if they're willing and able to do kind of these one-off expo head-to-head things that have a different kind of media arrangement and, and people are paying a lot of money for, uh, just the tour being able to let those players do those things will open up the opportunity for more money moving forward. Yeah, I mean, you've got tennis players playing on helipads over the sea. And yeah, I mean, people want to see these ex- exhibitions with the biggest stars in the game. So that's where the power lies. I mean, we say it all the time in the team sports as well, especially the NBA. It's so star driven. There's a reason why Adam Silver cares what LeBron James thinks about things. Uh, you, you better pay attention because people are tuning in to watch uh, not the 12th man on the bench but the stars around your league. And there's, you know, it's only a handful of people that can move that needle. And to bring this full circle, golfers are, are traditionally at the, at the top, top tier. Golfers are some of the highest paid athletes in the world each year. They do that almost entirely on the backs of non-golf yeah, earnings. Course. Yeah, <laughs> you know, off the course. Phil, Phil was number 21. I have these written down because we're talking about his sponsors. He was number 21 in the, in the world last year, $46 million. He made 42, a little over 42 million of that off the field. So yes, this is a really lucrative sport for the people who are at the top, top tier, but it's lucrative in, in, in the things outside of the PGA Tour necessarily, and not because the prize pools are so incredibly large. No pun intended, but you tee me up with an easy segue to the <laughs> U.S. soccer women's national team settlement when you talk about one's ability to make money. That, that fight that we've heard so much about over do I say past few months, past few years? Where where are we? You know, where, where are we putting that timeline? I mean, Six it's been going years, on, right? going on for years, but you've been yeah. hearing a lot about it in the last year or so. Uh, apparently, it is it is close to being put in the rearview mirror. Correct. This seems like a, a, a settlement that was reached um, reached this week. This seems like a massive win. I think Scott, correct me if you think I'm wrong. A massive win for the women's national team. They, they filed this lawsuit over over equal pay and other things like equal travel accommodations, hotels, Wait, can et cetera. I, can, can I interject here? But yeah. I'm going to say I think it, I think it's equal. And when you're talking about size of win, equal for U.S. soccer. Like this was a bad look. Like to put this behind us and to not be in conflict with the women's national team at a time when a number of the members of this team have have really grown their platforms and their ability to reach wide audiences. And the last thing you want to do is have these players sour the fans and sour the audience on what you're trying to build. I mean, to, to, be, to now be in harmony with the players, and it's a $25 million settlement. Again, $25 million is, seems like a small price to pay for U.S. soccer to be in harmony at one with the likes of Megan Rapino. Of of the other stars on that team, Alex I, Morgan. I agree. I agree with that. I would argue that if that like the, settling this six years later doesn't seem like it accomplished that goal. In fact, it probably I would argue maybe dragged this out way longer than it should have. And and having that kind of adversarial relationship with 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 the women's national team. Um, but but you mentioned the numbers here: twenty two million dollars in back pay that they're getting, a little over two million dollars in kind of other initiatives here, a commitment for a new CBA. To, to be one in which the men's national team and women's national team 
are paid equally. US and the deal is contingent on on, on that deal a, getting successful. Yeah, a, a successful CBA. Collective the U.S. soccer has 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 said for years that it offered essentially that exact setup to the women's national team. It offered the, the same sharing and, and same payment structure that the men have to the women that they and that they had turned it down. Um, but but yes, it seems like a good result for the for the, the the women on the team. Certainly a lot of money. And then you're right, Scott. Being able to settle this, no matter how how long it took, I think U.S. soccer is in a better position because this is in the rearview mirror. This is one of those where I think you can be honest in making an argument for the status quo. You can be honest and say that the men make more money if you want to look at it just straight up uh, on, on the ledger. But where that's a din- dishonest argument or ambiguous is that the men piggyback on the popularity of Brazil, of Italy. Those are the marquee draws in games in, in international tournaments like the World Cup, that is where the revenue is generated. If you want to go straight on a straight-up comparison between the U.S. men and the U.S. women and their ability to, on their own, generate revenue, I think we might have to side with the women here as marquee attractions, marquee draws, both on TV and in stadium. But they don't have the luxury of playing international competition where the fans are ab- you know, ab- absolute zealots and willing to take in almost anybody on the pitch. It's worth noting as well that we are heading into what is going to be a, a very critical, let's call it eight or nine year stretch for U.S. soccer. There is a men's World Cup being hosted here in 2026. There is an Olympics here in 2028. It seems as though there is a decent chance that the U.S. will be hosting a women's World Cup in 2031. There is a whole bunch of things, very important kind of milestones and, and important live events and hosting events coming up in, in the relative near term for U.S. soccer, and another kind of thing to mention when you when you talk about getting this in the rearview mirror, getting some kind of long-term CBA, some sort of labor piece in place as you head into all of these big kind of marquee events is a really important thing for U.S. soccer. Uh, yeah, and we saw that, by the way, let's just take it from an NFL perspective, what enabled them to have a great uh, television deal and all deals, with all commercial deals moving forward, the fact that you had labor peace for a decade. It's sort of that founding principle. If there's the chance that there could be an interruption and your teams may not be participating in these marquee events, it'd be hard to see, you know, not participating in a World Cup or whatever. But without a CBA, without a labor contract, the possibility exists. Once you have that done, it enables you to then go out and capitalize on all the other ancillary revenue opportunities. Exactly. Yeah. So all in all, I think here, uh, a positive result here for, 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 for both sides. Scott, let's close uh, by talking about sports betting. Uh, a, a pretty brutal last few months for a lot of the publicly traded companies that, that, that are dominating market share in the U.S. from a sports betting perspective. In the past week, DraftKings declared earnings dropped about 20% uh, uh, the day after they filed, largely because of how many losses, uh, how, how much losses they're expecting in the next year or so. Caesars declared earnings this week on Tuesday. Uh, leadership there making it very clear that they're uh, they, they're going to start cutting back on the marketing spend. I'm kind of fascinated by where the U.S. sports betting marketplace is right now in that on, on one hand, you're seeing gaudy, gaudy numbers of how much people are betting. New York set all these records in its first three weeks, four weeks, five weeks of of being active. And then on the other hand, you see all the companies that are capitalizing on those gaudy numbers are just getting crushed in the public markets because people, it seems like, are finally realizing what I think smart people probably would have told them a long time ago is that this is going to be a money-losing venture 
for most of these companies for a very long time as they fight for market share and as they prepare to launch in individual states on a, on a one-by-one basis. It's, I feel like we're going back to the daily fantasy conversation all, all over again in terms of how to, you know, customer acquisition costs. Uh, they're pretty high in sports betting. It's it's not easy to uh, to acquire a new customer, and that's one thing these these companies have to take into account. And it's the age old argument: great revenue, right? I keep hearing we get revenue of X up from last year, but overall profit now in the P and L statement, you're losing money, right? Um, so until until these companies start showing profit, are we in for again depressed? numbers in terms of their stock price. I, yeah, I think it kind of depends on how how much the market, I think, maybe shifts its expectations a bit. If you're waiting for profit, it's going to be a long time. DraftKings, Jason Robbins has said before, the way they think about each individual market is it, it's roughly each state is probably profitable in a two to three year time horizon, right? So, so even if it's just the states right now, there's a number of those that are in year one of that of those three years, let alone all the states that are going to legalize sports betting in the next two or three years kind of start their own clock for two to three years. That includes New York, which just launched Florida. If it happens in the future, California, Texas, these are huge states that are not yet to come online. Uh, if you're waiting for profitability from these companies, uh, it's going to be a really long road. And, and we've seen companies, certainly Amazon's a great example. There, there's plenty of companies that have kind of stock price has soared all while being supremely unprofitable. I think the difference here is that at its best, sports betting is still a very low margin business. It's a tough business to do really, really well at massive scale. And if they're fighting, you're losing all this money to then have a dominant position, ideally in a business where the margins are always going to be kind of low, that's kind of a tough proposition, I think, for some investors. And I, I think there are people out there who maybe didn't realize that originally DraftKings, Scott, is down 73% from its from its 52-week high, uh, which is a pretty shocking number. And, and, and they're not alone. There, there's tons of both operators and sports bed and, and data companies that, are, that have seen massive losses in the past in, in the past few months just because it seems like people have, have had to reset their expectations a bit. All right. Let me seem smart, even though I'm not on this subject, and I'll let you explain it. One, we have a 51% take in New York. So you wonder all these other states that are coming online. Well, if New York has it, we want it too. Absolutely. And is that sustainable, number one? Because I'm trying to find where you know where's the light at the end of the tunnel. And two, from what I know of pro sports league and owners, I don't think they're going to be particularly sympathetic to the argument from these companies that, oh, well, you know, you can't keep taking as much as you are. You have to think long term. I'm not sure. And, and it's the same in sort of the cryptocurrency companies right now. It's like they see a gold rush, in at least pro sports leagues and owners see a gold rush here, and they will try to extract as much as they can, as fast as they can, maybe not looking to create a more viable ecosystem over the next three, five, 10 years. Yeah, two really good points. On, on the first one, you're absolutely right. If I'm a legislator in California and everyone said the 51% tax rate in New York was way too high, operators didn't want to go there, no one was going to make money. And I look at the first five weeks there, there's seven or eight operators who are active. They're all spending a lot of money, at least so far right now. They're seeing record handle in terms of the amount being bet. Why would I ever consider a tax rate for California that's anything lower than 51%? In some ways, I think the market is, is, is gearing up for the idea that at least in a lot of the big states, they could very well see tax structures similar to what New York 
is getting because New York is demanding because it doesn't seem to have been a horrible disaster for New York, at least not quite yet. So no question on that. And then number two, you're right. The, it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle uh, for a lot of these things. And, 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 and sports like the NBA and the NFL have done a really good job of structuring this industry in a way that is directly beneficial to them financially, both from the operators and from the data providers. And yeah, the idea that maybe the healthiest thing for the industry is to scale things back a little bit uh, might be a hard sell. And also there's, as you know, there's contracts, there's long-term contracts that, that a lot of these deals kind of get locked into, but certainly an interesting time for an industry that is exploding in a lot of ways and is also kind of supremely unhealthy uh, in some other ways, just depending on how you look at it. Yeah, maybe the way in and the profitable way in is to be in the ecosystem without sort of being an operator, <laughs> you know, in, pick, in pick operator shows. proper. Yeah. <laughs> so shameless plug for uh, Brendan Coffey, one of our finance reporters who did a story about Tom Waterhouse titled Tom Waterhouse Pivots VC Fund to Sports Betting. So we're sitting here going all these problems with sports betting. But here's Tom Waterhouse. And by the way, Waterhouse VC among the best performing VC funds since 2019. Ready for the total return? I wrote it down here too. It's a shot. All right, good. You deliver the number. He's delivering uh, 2,113% returns in the past two years. In case you misheard, 2,113% return. So let me on, ask you, on Scott, Waterhouse VC fund. If yeah. you are delivering over 2,000% returns, why are you pivoting to <laughs> why anything? Why are you pivoting to any? <laughs> you know, there's got to be a 3,000 return out there somewhere because he's going into sports betting tech, right? Not necessary operations. But sports betting tech. I know. So it's just if so you can build the better mousetrap in an industry where you think that the total audience will grow, maybe that's not a bad place to be. But if I had my money in Waterhouse VC, I'm saying no pivot. Don't don't, don't pivot. Do do exactly what you're doing right now. Um, but yes, it is interesting, and it's a good point, Scott, to just show that there are a lot of smart people that are still looking at parts of this industry. And and fanatics and Michael Rubin, right? Another yeah. really smart, savvy sports investor who really is dying to get into this industry and is about to spend a ton of money to have a sports book of some sort to try to compete with with DraftKings and Caesars, etc. So yes, there are certainly a lot of opportunity here still, and a lot of smart people who are remain kind of rushing to get involved in the industry in some capacity. You mean to tell me that the Green Bay Packers are not going to sell more shares and just open up their own sports betting fund? <laughs> I mean, because they just saying, sell more, right? What yeah, they just raised? 2025 headlines. Did we finish their latest raise? Did we know how much? Did they finish uh, that they yet? They gave an update about a week ago or so, and I can't remember the exact number, but they were, I think they were in like the 80% range there, something like okay. that. It's not fully sold out, or at least it hadn't, it wasn't as of a few weeks ago, but they were getting getting pretty close. What a setup they have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe we we need to get Tom Waterhouse on because I'd like to ask him. You post twenty one, you know, two thousand one hundred thirteen percent. My question for Tom would be: Do you celebrate at all? Is there a wow? This is some fantastic returns, or is that is there the instantaneous dread of fund manager where it's how am I going to beat this next year? Do you do you get to enjoy it at all, <laughs> or is the immediate pivot to oh my god, how do I do this again? What I think, think? You, you or I are retiring on that number, right? <laughs> give, give me two good years of that and I don't need to do it anymore. Um, but yeah, I would think there's probably a little bit of both. I'm sure he's extremely happy and, and, and proud of the work that they're doing and also understands that the, the, the higher your returns are, the more pressure there is to deliver something close to that in, in the future. Yeah, it's an interesting question. All right. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I'm Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Our social media editor is Cora Veltman. She likes it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. 
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus